Thank you, Joe. Thank you for reading that little passage. Um, as Joe said, I'm Betty. I'm a student here. Uh, I'm in my final year, currently in the throes of writing my dissertation. So please pray for me. <laughs> I need all the prayer I can get. But it's so good to be speaking today and carrying on our series on beautiful resistance. And I'm going to be talking about hospitality must resist fear. Um, and if you've been following along, we've looked at different topics. For example, um, Father Matt looked at how um, love must resist hate, which really challenged me, and um, rest must resist exhaustion, um, which was also another one that really challenged me. I think all of them have really challenged me um, to live a life that is countercultural, the life of Jesus that calls us to the narrow path. And so I wanted to really start by sharing a bit of my story. Um, I've shared it before, I think I shared it last year, but for some of you who might not know, I grew up in Zimbabwe, um, and I grew up there till I was about 11 years old. Um, I lived there with my family, and then um, we moved here, um, and I moved straight to Devon. And for those of you who might not have been who don't know, it's very, very white. <laughs> And I think I was used to, um, I was used to being surrounded by people who looked, sounded, spoke the same language as me, and I just remember being a bit of a fish out of water. I remember my first day at school, me and my sister um, were the only black students at the school at the time. I don't know if it's changed, but um, I just remember kind of feeling my hair. I was like, okay, no one here is an Afro. No one here looks like me. No one else has a strong accent. I could barely speak English at the time. But throughout this time, we got plugged into our local church. And I think I'd struggled to kind of fit in and find my place and really know kind of where did I fit in. But they welcomed us. And there's a particular family that have become such great friends to my family and have become such great friends. Their children are some of my closest friends now, they opened their home to us and I would go to theirs after school and through being friends with them, they would listen to our story and take time just to know about us, how, how we got to be here. And I remember um, we would bounce in the trampoline and kind of through being friends with them, I learned to speak English and they were so patient with us and where many would have been tempted to keep a distance, they drew close. But I've also had times where I haven't felt so welcomed. I felt a bit like an outsider, a foreigner. I didn't really feel like I belong. And I think a lot of this comes from this culture of us and them, where we kind of keep the same group of people who kind of talk, sound like us, look like us close, but keep people who are different, maybe a bit further away. When we categorize people in this way as the other, as separate from us, as separate from the people who share the same beliefs, the same morals, maybe the same skin color, the same class, we close ourselves off from friends, from, from people feeling like they belong. And I think a lot of this comes from this fear of the other, fear of people who are like, what would they be like? I'm scared to mess up, say the wrong thing. But actually, you can't love someone from a distance. You have to get close. 
my home church, the little local church that meets in our local um, secondary school main hall. They drew us in, they drew us close and came close, took time to know us, our story, took time to learn about our culture. They did not distance themselves. Distance creates fear. And that fear leads us almost to exclude ourselves from people. And the theologian Andrew Shepherd details this process by, whereby we exclude the other or someone who doesn't look, sound like us, someone from our circle. He says, firstly, we seek to eliminate, maybe. We kind of, maybe through legislation, violence, we kind of keep ourselves separate. We assimilate others. We try and maybe make them like us instead of embracing who they are. Or we dominate others, normalize our own standards over theirs. And perhaps the worst of all, we demonize people to justify our own behavior because we don't take time to understand and know them. And I believe this is a lot of what we saw last year maybe with George Floyd. But what if we as Christians, followers of Jesus, practiced what he preached? Jesus is love. He is ultimate love. We find love and belonging in Jesus. And I love how the majority of the time in the Gospels, Jesus can be found either going to a meal, coming from a meal. I love food, so this is amazing. I can get on board with this. But he stood up for the minority. Jesus dined with the oppressed, the poor, the ones cut out from society, the sinners, the prostitutes, women. Jesus loved women. He stood up for them. He gave them a voice. He elevated them. Jesus stood up for people who were oppressed for their race. The story of the Good Samaritan, this is our savior. He loved all. And I think a lot of us would be shocked at the people Jesus would choose to spend time with in today's society. And so I want to go back to that story that Joe read for us in Zacchaeus, um, Luke 19, verse 1 to 10. I think to understand fully the significance of what Jesus here, we have to take a look at tax collectors. What was it like to be a tax collector in this day? They were amongst the most hated, the lowest of the low in society. Zacchaeus would have been a Jew working for the Romans, um, and in first century, the first century Roman Empire oppressed the Jewish people. And so really, this is a man who is the ultimate traitor to his own people. He was a cheat. Tax collectors would add on to the already high taxes and pocket the rest of the money. On top of that, he was not just your average tax collector. This is a chief tax collector who is rich. So this man, you would not want him as your friend. He was very much hated. But what Jesus did here is radical. He chose to show hospitality to someone who would have been overlooked by his own community. This is a man no one wanted anything to do with. You see in the outrage of those around him, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. How dare he? And I was thinking, 
Holy Spirit, what does this look like to me? Who are the people who maybe I kind of overlook and don't choose to show hospitality? And to bring it a bit closer to home, for me, it would be like Jesus today rocking up and saying, Betty, I'm going to dine with someone who maybe has been racist to me. And this would really be quite painful so I can understand the anger. Why is Jesus choosing to dine with Zacchaeus, the man who pocketed our money and we're starving? The same outrage this evoked is the same that I would feel if Jesus came up and said that to me. But again, hospitality must resist fear. Jesus calls us to show hospitality. And I wonder if you can think of the most hospitable person you know. Um, for me, it's my mom. She is a big extrovert. Like, she loves people so much. Um, and she operates a bit of an open-door policy of, come over whenever you want, anytime. And our house is almost always full, obviously, pre-corona, but of people. And growing up, I'm not going to lie, this did not spark joy for everyone, especially me. Um, I, I used to be a lot more um, introverted than I am now, but I was definitely an introvert growing up. So this, to me, was not really my idea of fun. But whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it does not matter. This is not the hospitality the Bible is speaking about. Jesus calls us to hospitality, not because of our personality types, not because of whether you love people or whether you struggle. It does not matter. It's so much deeper than that. So I want us to look at um, the Greek word for hospitality. I hope I say this right, but it's philoxenia. It is a compound word combining philo, a word for friend, and philia, the verb for the word love and xenos meaning foreigner. I'm going to read that again and say that again, but it's philo, a word meaning friend, and philia, the verb for the word love, and xenos meaning foreigner. When I read this, it kind of changed my mind. It kind of blew my mind. This is what hospitality means. Instead of fear of the other, fear of the stranger, fear of the foreigner, fear of the isolated, Hospitality means love of the foreigner. It means love of the other. It means love of the stranger. It's about the biblical commandment. It's about our call to love one another as Jesus himself has loved us. And in Romans 12, 13 to 14, it says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I think Paul rightly chooses to use that word, practice hospitality, for a reason. It's, it's not easy. It is a muscle that needs to be worked out. We need Jesus. We need his eyes. Lord, give me eyes to see the people I've overlooked. Give me eyes to see people who are ostracized from society. Give me eyes to see, Lord, what breaks your heart. I want to know the people I've overlooked. I want to know the people who need the love of Jesus. Lord, move my heart into action. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Who are the people that he would die to spend time with? And in Beautiful Resistance, John Tyson talks about how 
we forget what our lives were like before Jesus. We forget that we, in the story of redemption, we are the foreigners. Ephesians 2.11 says, Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. You were separate from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship, and you were a foreigner. Unless, of course, you're from a Jewish descent, but I'm guessing all of us here are Gentiles. In the story of redemption, we are the strangers, we are the outsiders, we are the foreigners. But how amazing is it that God would send his only son, that he would stretch out his hands on a cross so that you can become part of his family. You are no longer a stranger. We are no longer strangers. And I love this from Joshua Jibb. He says, God's hospitality is extended to his lost, to the broken, to the needy, to the stigmatized people. The divine hospitality comes to us in the person of Jesus, the divine host who extends God's hospitality to sinners, outcasts, strangers, and thereby draws them and us into friendship with God. God's embrace of humanity into friendship with him is the ultimate form of welcoming the stranger. God's embrace of humanity into friendship is the ultimate form of welcoming the stranger. So practically, what does this look like? How can we practice hospitality to those around us, to the homeless person maybe you see down the road, to the person who's been so broken and hurt by racism, to the prostitute who's been told so many times they're unworthy, they're unclean. How can you show hospitality to the people that Jesus came here for, the ones that he loves so much that he would often, time and time again, be found with? Firstly, we must welcome. Hospitality must look like welcome. In the story of Zacchaeus, it is Jesus who welcomes him, where many have turned a blind eye. Verse 5, it says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must dine with you. I must stay at your house. Maybe this was the first time a fellow Jew had welcomed him since he became a tax collector. Maybe this was the first time someone had seen him. The first time he felt known come down immediately. Jesus calls him by name. Jesus welcomed all. This did not mean, I think often I struggle because I'm like, Jesus, if you welcome everyone, does this mean that you you agree with what they've done, you agree with what they did? But Jesus knew Zacchaeus. He knew what he had done. He knew he would have robbed from the poor He knew everything about him. He called him by name after all. But ultimately, it's his love that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And it's not up to you to change people's hearts. It's the Father who does that. And like Father Matt was saying last week, we must start with love. It's not the end point, but we must start with love. I was thinking, what would it, would it look like if we made room around our tables? I think last year, especially, God 
um, taught me a lot about the table. When we come down and sit at the table as family, so much can change. Shame dies at the table. When stories are told in places, you see people for who they are. I remember when I first moved here, my family would be invited. I mean, at the time, I was like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> but we would be invited to so many lunches of things that I'd never eaten before, like cobbler, um, which is so British, and I hated it at the time, but I, I love it now. But um, we would be invited to so many people's houses. People would sit down just to know our story, to know what got us here. Why did you move to Devon? in a little, tiny village. People's hospitality has shaped my life. What if we made room around our tables for the stigmatized, for the broken, for the hurting, for the homeless? What if you invited someone for coffee who doesn't look like you? What if you went for a walk? I think this would look like us finally grasping that every single person bears the image of God. Every single person is an image bearer who God so loves. Ultimately, when we welcome the least of these, when you welcome the homeless, when you welcome women who are suffering and are broken this week, you welcome Jesus. You know, he doesn't always come how you expect him to. And I think often we kind of expect him to show up dressed in white, shining, but sometimes he comes in the form of the homeless person, or the person who is broken, hurting, or the person who has been abused. When you welcome the least of these, you welcome me. And secondly, our hospitality, our welcome can lead to a transformation of identity. Jesus shows um, Zacchaeus, Jesus, the hospitality that Jesus shows to Zacchaeus leads to a transformation of character. This is a man who would have taken from the poor, like I was saying earlier, to, for his own personal gain. But verse 8 says, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. When I read this, this struck me so much. This is the power of Jesus. It's the power of welcome. You don't need to do anything. You just welcome and let people in, and God does the rest. Jesus just said, come, I want to dine at your house. And, this, and he's like, yeah, I'll give everything, Jesus. Our hospitality of the stranger, of the foreigner, of the one who people exclude leads to radical transformation is that place where a stranger is turned into a friend. It's his kindness that leads Zacchaeus to repentance. And John Tyson um, talks in his book, it's the story of Derek Black and Matthew Stevenson. When I read this, this part of the book, it broke my heart. And yeah, Jesus really spoke to me in this. But, um, Derek Black was, um, he was the heir of white nationalism and was outed to the whole college. They went to the same college and was outed for being a white supremacist. He had written so many awful things about black people and Jewish people. And um, Matthew, was, Matthew was a Jewish Orthodox Jew 
who had started hosting these Shabbat dinners and was inviting people over. And despite hearing all that Derek had done, he chose to invite him over for these Shabbat dinners. And in, in the book, it says, meal by meal, Derek kept coming back. And around that table of hospitality or friendship, Derek would go on to renounce white nationalism and write this, things I have said, as well as my actions, have been harmful to people of color and, Jew and of Jewish descent, activists stri striving for opportunity and fairness for all. I am sorry for the damage I've done. This is the power of hospitality because you carry the spirit of God, that for the someone who's walking in darkness, someone who, even the worst of the worst, someone you might think that, gosh, there's no coming back from this. They've said that, they've done this. But Matthew would welcome this man, and the Holy Spirit would do what only he can do best, and that's change people's hearts. The hardest of hearts, hearts of stone, turned into hearts of flesh. That's my Jesus. Hospitality and an environment of welcome leads to a transformation of identity. The stranger turned into friend. And ultimately, this leads to a changed heart. Like I was saying, the hardest of hearts turned into hearts of flesh. In a moment, Jesus choosing to Show hospitality to Zacchaeus. He says this in verse 9 to 10. Today salvation has come to your house. Today salvation has come to your house. Because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And I think for a lot of us we have lost sight of the people that Jesus came here for. He didn't come for people who have it all together. Of course, he loves them. But really, his heart was for the broken, for the needy, for the poor. And where Zacchaeus was ostracized from his own society, Jesus reinstates his identity. He would have been rejected by his own people, but Jesus says, this man too is the son of Abraham, acknowledging his Jewish descent. Like the story of Derek Black and Matthew Stevenson, that's the power of hospitality, a restoration of identity where people have been overlooked, loving the foreigner, loving the other, loving the stranger, loving the ones that Jesus desires and longs for. Hospitality must resist fear. And this is our call as followers of Jesus, to lead a life of hospitality, to live a life that is obedient to the second greatest commandment. He says to us, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I pray that would break our hearts to love our neighbor. You know, that God would open our eyes to see the people that he loves. There's so many people who, their lives would be so radically changed if they knew the love of Jesus, if they understood the love of God and how much he loves them. And we have the power to do that in such a broken society. Maybe for you this week, it might look like meeting up with someone for coffee. It might look like inviting someone, well, you can't invite them to your house, but go for a walk with somebody who doesn't think like you, who doesn't maybe look like you, 
when you see the homeless person, take time just to acknowledge them. These are the people that Jesus came for. These are the people that he desires. And how amazing is it if our churches could reflect that, could look like the people he came for? What would it look like if they filled this room just because of your hospitality, of the stranger, of the other, of the outcast? Ultimately, we must do it from a place of love because it's love, the Bible says, it covers a multitude of sin. And that's how Jesus was able to love even the people that in my eyes, in my human judgment, did not deserve it by Jesus. He loved them so much that he says, I want you, I want you. You who's forgotten, you who's been ostracized by your society, I want you. And so I want to pray for us as we finish. And I want Jesus to open our hearts, open our eyes, to love the people that he loves, to love the ones that he came for. It's not easy, but this is our call as lovers of Jesus, and I believe that he's the one who gives us the strength to do that. And so, Father, I thank you so much that, Father, you didn't come for the people who have it all together and have got life sorted. But Father, you say that I want the one who's broken. I want the one who's been so hurt. I want the one who everyone sees as an outcast. Thank you so much. Those are the people that you desire, Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray that you give us your heart and your eyes to see those people, Jesus, and break our hearts for what breaks yours, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.